Hallelujah. I want to give you a very warm welcome this morning and a special welcome to those of you Bananli Runa this morning for the first time. You may have been invited or you've come on your own. Today is a very special Sunday because we are, we have decided as the leaders Bakireke that we would love to turn the corner a bit and start really emphasizing on a very important aspect of what Jesus has instructed us to do. We'd love to see the DNA of our church changing. And so I believe today you're really going to be truly, truly challenged and touched by the word of the Lord today. So just look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, expect incredible things from the word of God today. You're going to learn, you're going to be challenged. Tell your neighbor, please promise me you're going to say amen, even if you don't like what he's saying. You're going to say amen, amen. So if you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you and thank you all for being here. And we are very, very grateful. I'm going to be talking today from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It reads as follows, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. As we also welcome all our uh, people who join us on social media as well. We said that this year we're going to focus on three areas, which are grace, yeah, and can you say it again in a convincing way, which are what? Yeah, and look at your neighbor who didn't say anything and say, neighbor, it is what? It is what? It is grace, yeah, growth, and what? Okay, so uh, last week we talked a bit about church growth. We couldn't do it in this service because of the way the service went, and we thank God for what he did last week. And we, we continue to receive good testimonies as well. I'm going to give you a testimony, not from last week, but from the other weeks, and so on. But we learned last week uh, in the first service, and I'll give you a little bit of a recap, that uh, God wants us to grow. In fact, wherever God is, he will ensure that there is growth. Or as a result of God being there, things grow, they get better, things change. The life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Genesis chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit was hovering upon the face of the deep, and the Bible says everything there was without form and void. In Hebrew, it was tohu vabohu. And that means a state of confusion where there's disorder, there is no uh, uh, semblance of anything good. But it says, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering upon the face of the deep. And when God gave a command, out of chaos, God created order. Out of a place that was tovabohu, that had no life, God brought about life. Out of disorder, God brought order. So God is a God who not only brings order, brings life, but when his presence is there, things thrive. God is the life-giving spirit. And that is why whatever God does in our lives, he will grow it. As long as we continue to obey him, to listen to him, to follow his instructions, there's a lot more God wants to do in our lives than we are aware of. And so in Job chapter 8 verse 7, God says to Job, though thy beginning was small, 
yet your latter end should greatly increase. I love it in the Bible in basic English. It says, and though your start was small. The interesting thing is God always starts small. And unfortunately, oftentimes, people don't give attention to something that's small. You know, we despise what is small, but God never starts big. God always starts small. And if you are wise, you will always take care of the small. You'll always look beyond the size and see God working in the small. Though your start was small, it says in the Bible in basic English, your end will be very great. You know, God doesn't just want you to have the one church. He wants you to have two churches. He doesn't want you just to have the one degree. He wants you to have two degrees, you know. Oh, come on now, Bazalanai. He doesn't just want you to have a small onion as shop at the corner. God wants you to own a chain store. I'm prophesying to somebody here. Uh, yeah, God wants you to grow in your knowledge of him, to know his word and know more of his word. He doesn't just want you to pray for an hour. He wants you to pray for two hours and three hours and, and grow in the things of God. Tell your neighbor, God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow. So we noted that this DNA of growth seems to be in everything that God does, like we see in the early church. The early church grew numerically, and I believe that ought to be our pattern. I was saying in the last service here, 7 o'clock last week, you know, sometimes people go about saying, ah, we don't need to be worried about big, large numbers or big churches, you know, because God doesn't want a big church. He just wants a small church because in a, in a big church, it's only quantity. In a small church, it's quality. You know, and, and, and we say all kinds of things, but when you look at the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus ministered to all people. He preached in houses. He preached out in the field. He was followed by few. He was followed by the multitude. How about we have both quality and quantity? What do you use? And when you look at the early church, you see that the early church started out as 120 people in the upper room. And then when the Holy Spirit fell, 3,000 people were added. And then later on, when the man at the gate of beautiful was healed, 5,000 people were added. So, you know, there's nothing wrong about us growing, okay? We can grow. It's not about the size that we are looking for, but the commission we have been given by our Lord is to reach the whole world with the gospel. And the parables that we've read in Luke 14, we'll refer to it there. The master of the house, who had prepared a great feast, sent out his servants to, in fact, send out invitations to people to come to the feast. And then the Bible says, when the time of the feast came, and the people who were invited started making excuses, and it says the master of the feast was very upset because people didn't come to the feast, so he went to his servants, and he said to them, go out to the byways and the highways and, 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 and invite people, you know? So they went out, invited people, and then they came and said, Master, we've done as you have instructed us, but there is still room in the house. Yeah, and then Jesus says, well, go out over, go out to people who are out on the streets, go out to those who, you know, who have no background, who have nobody who likes them. And he uses the word compel them. We'll read that later. He says, compel them to come in so that my house must be full. God wants his house to be full. Oh, come on now. I said, God wants his house to be full. And note the master is, is, is very insistent on the, on the servants. He says, compel them. Compel them to come in. 
So God wants the church to grow. He wants us to reach many, many, many more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read about the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Do you see that? House to house. How do you see that? Do you see house to house? So that means there's not, it wasn't as lot of, lot of people. So the church exists even in houses. Okay, from house to house, note that. And they did meet, eat meat with lightness and singleness of heart. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. If we were to take that literally, you know, and we know it probably goes beyond that. But if we were to take that literally, let's assume God added one person to the church every day. So by the end of the year, they had 365 new people. That's no small church. Mm, that's no small church at all. So if, if, if God added that to the 120, so 365 plus 120, how many? How much? 485. So they already had 485, and then God added 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. So that's how much? 3,485, right? And then God added 5,000 after that guy was healed at the gate of beautiful. So that makes it what? 8,385. Yeah, yeah. That's numbers. That's, that's the pattern. That's the pattern. You know, oftentimes when we meet as Bible scholars and theologians, we like to argue these things out. And there's some of us who have some very interesting ideas. And I always ask a question, why don't we follow the pattern of the Bible? It's easy, it's there, it's in the Bible. Kiel. Kiel. 8,365. That's the number that you gave us, bro. Yeah. So we see that the early church grew. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says, How beat many of them which heard the word who believed, the number of them was about 5,000. 5,000. When Jesus was talking about fruitfulness, it's quite interesting that he talks about fruitfulness and us in fruitfulness in an increasing measure. Look at John 15. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Now note verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So if you're a branch in him and you're not fruitful, whatever fruitful might mean to you. Okay, whatever fruitful might mean to you. Prayer, soul winning, whatever. Whatever fruitful means to you. says if you're not fruitful, he takes you away. But note the, next, the, note the next expression. He says, but every branch in me, note, that bears fruit, he purgeth it. He prunes it. Why, Jesus? So that. Yeah, there you go. So that it should do what? Bring more fruit. I would assume that because it's fruitful, you just leave it there. Jesus says, ah, it's fruitful, but I want it to be more fruitful. So God is talking about increasing measures. He takes the one that's fruitful. He wants you to be more fruitful. That's what God wants to do in your life. Our, our problem is that when God gives us one small thing, Jena, we camp around it, we celebrate, we pat ourselves on the back and we become big-headed. When God wants us to be humble, to stay 
Serving him, loving him, not worship what he has given to us. Are you there, Basalana? Just continue serving because God wants to add to your life. I'm not saying amen here. I said yes, God wants to add to your life. How about say three? Uh, how about say three? How about that? How about that? He says, every branch in me that bears fruit, he purges it, note, so that it should bear more fruit. So he starts with fruit. He moves to more fruit. But now look at the next verse. Look at verse five. Then he says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. It's still the same, same text we're reading. He that abides in me and I him, the same brings forth what? Ah, let me hear you. Don't whisper. I'm not changing the Bible. It says it brings what? So we move from fruit to more fruit. Oh, I see you bringing much fruit. What do you say? Hallelujah. And so God wants uh, to do things in our lives in an increasing measure. There's incremental implication in this verse. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. I believe strongly God wants our churches to grow. And one of the ways to guarantee church growth by bearing fruit is through soul winning. That's what we're going to talk about today. Soul winning. Soul winning. Many churches want to grow, but the members don't want to do anything for the church to grow. They leave it all to the domini to make sure that the church grows. But when you read what the Bible says, every one of us is responsible for growth. When Paul talked to the church in Corinthians, this church that was so divided to a point that people started being in different camps and different slates, Paul addresses them. He says to them, look, why do you say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos? Then he says, note, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. I'd like to say, church growth is the work of God who gives the increase. But there must be a Paul and there must be an Apollos. In other words, there is man's side of the equation and there's God's side of the equation. We do the work, we do the planting, we do the watering, God does the increasing. Right? And so Paul argues, he says, at the end of the day, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? They are simply servants of the Lord. You and I, we are simply servants of the Lord. I preached, they sang, you used the camera, they did the sound, you did the ushering, somebody did the parking, Somebody did the cleaning of the yard, but at the end, God gave the increase. That's what it's about. It's God who gives the increase. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And note the next part. And he who wins souls is wise. In other words, righteous people understand fruitfulness. And their fruit is a tree of life. What does it talk about? What does it talk about? Many things, but among other things is that those who are righteous, committed to Christ, understand that the winning of souls is important. Why? Because when we leave this world, the day we die, we leave everything that we own behind. Everything. 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 We came back into the world, religiously. 
I'm saying it the old way. Not shilling. We go back. Everything you have, all the money, all the possessions, all the certificates, all the achievements, they remain here. You go back. Job says naked, came out into the world, naked shall return. Shilling. Naked like a banana. Shilling. Go back into So in other words, there's nothing of this world that we can take to heaven with us. The sad thing is we work so hard to amass the things of the world. Nothing wrong with having things. It's a problem when we worship them. It's a problem when we place a lot of value on them. And the reality is the only, only, only one thing we can take to heaven is people. And I, I don't want to call them a thing. I mean, it's only people we can take to heaven with us. In other words, if I lead somebody to the Lord and they get saved, the day they die, they go to heaven, at least I'll meet them there because of my efforts. Oh, come on now. Now, all the words, all the money, everything, everything is Salamon. It's Salamon. I was telling them in the first service that, you know, there's that point, Bazalana, when you reach that stage of dying, when nothing else matters. But the salvation of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking with somebody whose partner passed on, you know, and, and they were telling us, I mean, this, this gentleman, you know, the wife was telling us, I mean, this, this guy, this man, we know him, my bishop and I, we know this person, you know. Uh, you know, if I need to work as I want to keep up I mean, the brother was, was, was okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> Good man, loved God, but he loved style. <sighs> I mean, he was always neat, every hair in place. When you combed his hair, no, 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 Jeffrey. And he just loved his, his attire. He used to buy things of class. I mean, even, when, even the way he walked. You know these people who can walk out in the dust and then the dust never gets onto their shoes? You know those? Have you ever met those kind of people? I don't know how they walk. I don't know. Maybe they just glide through the dust. And anytime he's there, I mean, color blogging. I mean, this brother, oh, I, I tell you, he used to buy good stuff. Unfortunately, he got quite ill and I think it was cancer and he was in almost the last stages of it. And the two weeks before he passed, the wife tells us, Confidential said, you know, I saw something in my husband that I've never seen. You know, because every day when he woke up, I, I always had to have his shirt ironed, his pants ironed, and you have to place them in a certain way. He said, on this particular day, he said, nah, I'm not going to wear those. I'm going to stay in my pajamas. He says, this man never stays in his pajamas during the day. You know those people who go and drink tea with a white shirt and a tie? How many of you are sitting next to some of those kinds of people who are always, uh, or the ladies who are always in makeup? It doesn't matter. Lots of people saying they are in makeup or they are here. Ikea na odi zimopela o, Ikea na o, au manavatu askis. But that day, this man said no. He stayed in. The wife says I was shocked. He said, but those two weeks he got into a state where somehow he could see into the other world. This is the wife telling us. He was a born again man. Says there's a special spot in our bedroom where you'd ask me to. I'd sit him down because he couldn't walk. You know, I mean, whatever he was sick of, he named it eating up his body. And he would look at a certain spot, and this man would tell that he's seeing into the other world. 
And you'd see people who had passed on and he would, he would see Jesus and he would talk to Jesus. He would talk in a language I don't understand. He, he was so consumed in this that Dobshire didn't matter anymore. The Louis Vuitton didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter how much he had in the bank. It didn't matter. It didn't even matter that he's in his pajamas. I've been there when people have passed on. And, and you know, some of us as leaders, because of the work we do, we're there sometimes to give people their last rights. When they get to that stage, I'm telling you what, things of this world don't matter. I'm telling you. Even those who have professed not to believe in God and they don't want God and there's no God, when you get into that zone, my friend, think about it. I remember the one family member who... who the, it's almost like there's a time before people pass where they're kind of, they kind of uh, between two worlds. You know, they can kind of see the other world and this world. And, and, and we saw them rubbing their eyes like they just, just can't believe what they're seeing. And they'd open their eyes wide and, and I could see whatever they're seeing has so taken hold of them. Thank God when they know Christ as Savior and Lord. We're not to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know when they've received Jesus as Savior and Lord. They don't have to worry about anything. Even if the outward man is perishing, we know that the inward man has been renewed day by day. We know that even at the point of death, when you are being killed or you are being stoned to death like Stephen, when he was being stoned to death for preaching the gospel, at the point of death, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw Jesus standing on the right hand of the Father. And what he saw over there didn't make him to be bitter about what people did. It didn't matter what they were doing to his body because it was his body after all. He shouts to God, God forgive them for what they are doing. He says, oh God, into your hands I command my spirit. Spirit. Hallelujah. That's the inward man. That one who's made after the image of God. That's the part of you that was breathed into you when God made man and he breathed into man the breath of life. And the Bible says, and man became a living soul. That's the part that lives eternally. That's the part that when it leaves this body, this body cannot be. And that's the part that will either go to heaven or go to hell, depending on the decision that you make down here on earth. And that's what we have been commissioned to talk to people about in this time in the world where people want to forget that there's an eternity. People want to drown themselves in the things of this world. They forget that one day they're going to give an account for their souls. And the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. Yeah. When we focus on the winning of souls as churches, as God's children, we are being wise because we understand the value of life. Life doesn't end in rents and cents, in human earthly achievements. It ends on the other side of the earth. We know that even if people were to get born again on the eve of their dying, like the, the thief who was crucified on the cross next to Jesus Christ. He was being crucified for the wrong he had done. This guy had lived such a wrong life. But thank God on the eve, just a few minutes before he could pass. Lord, remember me. Remember me when you come into paradise. Jesus says tonight I will remember you. You will be with me. You will be with me.
That's what we're doing when we talk about soul winning. We're telling people about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of what church you go to. No church can take you to heaven. No priest, no mfundisi, no domini, no pastor, no bishop can take you to heaven. It depends on the decision that you made for Jesus Christ. Can I hear? Oh, am I, am I preaching to people? The Amplified Bible in Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life. And who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisherman. He gathers and receives them for eternity. God wants us to reach people. In fact, God wants us to reach nations. In Proverbs 2.8 in the Bible, in basic English, it reads, make your request to me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. What does that mean? God, give us a breakthrough to reach nations with the gospel. May we not just plant churches in Soweto, God. May we go outside of the South African borders, God. May we busy ourselves with your kingdom, O oh God, to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's go back to our main text. Jesus is talking to the 120. In fact, at the time when he spoke, he spoke to the 300. Just 300 disciples that he had met after his resurrection, and he gives them an instruction to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that God has put in his own power. But, this is what will happen to you. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's interesting that the people that Jesus is speaking to are men and women from Galilee. Galilee, which was a small town. These are people who had no exposure, had never interacted with other people of other cultures. But for some reason, Jesus is telling them and giving them a commission not only to reach to their own in Jerusalem and Judea, but to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because one of the big indications of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he expands our horizons. He makes us reach beyond what we could do in our natural state. Jesus is speaking to these Galileans and he's saying the Holy Spirit will empower you to be witnesses. You will start first in your familiar place, Jerusalem and Judea. But then you'll go to Samaria. And then you'll go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, in their commentary, they, they, say, they, they comment as follows, and I quote, But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be witnesses unto me. Rather, the right rendition would be, you will receive power and you will be witnesses of me. In other words, after the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we become witnesses of him. Or it says, you will be my witness. A witness is somebody who saw something, experienced something, and they are speaking from first-hand knowledge. 
And because we've been touched by the power of God, we've been changed by the power of God, we speak from first-hand knowledge. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes upon us, will then start in Jerusalem. Now note, we note this pattern in the Bible. Because from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 8 verse 4, the gospel was preached in Jerusalem and Judea. Jerusalem and Judea represents our immediate area of familiarity. These are the people in our homes, in our families. These are the people These are people in the areas that we are used to. These people speak our language. They understand their culture. There's really not much adjustment when we reach these people because they get us. But these are people that we are familiar with. But after that, we see the gospel in Acts 8.5 to Acts 8.25 reaching into Samaritan territory. Samaria for us, therefore, represents people of a different culture, belief system, and different history to ours. The biggest challenge of taking the gospel to Samaria is that many of us have the tendency to not only take the gospel, but present to people our own beliefs that are not Bible-based. And as much as I really appreciate the work of missionaries, the reason the gospel, Christianity, is criticized so much often is because in us being given the gospel, it was mixed in with other cultural beliefs from other groupings of the world. See, all cultures of the world are valid, they are progressive, but there are areas in those cultures where they are sinful. All cultures of the world, there's places where they contradict the Bible. But we know that even the first people we read about who have taken the gospel to other territories, who, by the way, happen to have been Jewish, were there in Jerusalem, as they took the gospel to non-Jewish places called Gentile territories, they couldn't avoid preaching the gospel and their own traditions as well. For instance, in Acts 15, we see people preaching people to Gentiles, but also telling them that your salvation is not complete unless you get circumcised. Circumcision, good as it is, as embraced as it is, it's a cultural belief. It's not a prerequisite for going to heaven. And very often we often struggle when we preach the gospel to not try to load in the gospel that which is not the gospel but our own culture. Years ago when I was in Bible school, I had a huge argument with one of my colleagues who was telling me Amazon pay Lobola. He said, you are an African, or Lobola is a pagan practice. So you can't pay Lobola because now you're a Christian. You're Lobola free. <clears throat> And I said to him, if I don't pay Lobola, then don't come tell me about a white wedding. Because this white wedding of yours is not in the Bible in the first place. Don't come tell me about Christian dating. There's nothing about Christian dating. Dating is a, is a, is a cultural practice. We can incorporate cultural practices and not contradict the Bible at the same time. But it's not the Bible, and let's be careful of that. And very often it becomes a sad thing when you see African people throw away some of their legitimate cultural beliefs that have nothing to do with contradicting God in the name of accepting Christianity because it comes packaged in someone else's tradition. And so when we go to Samaria, we need to be careful that as we reach Samaritan territory, we need to be sensitive to people's cultural beliefs, not try to violate them. That there are certain things that might be accepted 
in certain cultures, where in certain cultures they're not accepted. Let me give you a good one that we see, particularly practiced by a lot of people in our types of churches, where people preach with a hand in their pocket. Now, in America, this is confidence. Here in Africa, this is arrogance. Now, there's nothing, no, look, there's no verse that says, thou shalt not put thy hand in the pocket when thou preachest. There's no verse like that. There's no verse like that. But remember, if you're going to reach people in a different culture to yours, you need to be very aware of what they do in their cultural plexus lest you offend them. And can I just say something whilst I'm on the topic? May I kick up a Can I advise you guys when we go to wedding, when we go to funerals? Please? Can you dress appropriately? Please? Please, when I go to your funeral, I'll always wear a jacket and long pants. Not because it's in the Bible. Mara, within cultures, it's seen as being respectful. You understand what I mean? Ladies, no sleeveless. No trapezan. You understand what I'm saying? Now, come on now. Don't give me that look. I'm trying to help you. And in some places, you've got to cover your head. Now, you're not going to break for doing that. But if I'm trying to reach people with the gospel, remember, before they listen to you, they look at your appearance. And they decide based on your appearance if they will listen to you. So I don't have to be wearing what I'm wearing now, but I'm doing it just in case somebody here, Harati Bermud. So I do it. It's not because it's in the Bible. And that's the challenge when we take the gospel to Samaritan testimony. Murtin Siki just told me during the break that in Ghana, those of you who are from Ghana, you know, I didn't know this, that in Ghana, you never ever use your left hand. I didn't know. So, so, so my, my children who are, who are in Ghana, you don't ever use the left hand. In fact, they say you only use your left hand when you are in the restroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't, you can imagine. So can you imagine, Bazalan, when you are serving communion with the left hand in church? You see, South Africans now are quiet. But, but I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Basalia, Samaria, it is worth you understanding. But then we take the gospel, thirdly, to the uttermost parts of the earth. All right? In other words, we need to take the gospel beyond our borders to other parts of the world. Now, we need to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Tell your neighbor, you need to be a witness of the Lord Jesus. Tell your other neighbor who's not been saying amen. And so Tutsi all along. You need to be a witness. Notice, Jesus always challenged those who encountered him to tell others about the encounter. And I'll go through this because the title of my message is Tell Them. Tell Them. I waited till now to tell you, tell them. <laughs> tell your neighbor, tell them. Tell them. We read a very incredible story in Mark 5 that I'm not going to read. I'll just narrate. Most of you know it. In the preceding chapter, chapter 4, Jesus had been preaching for a very long time. And one of the famous parables we know, the parable of the sower and the seed. After preaching, he tells his disciples to get into the boat and they're crossing over to the other side. They get caught up in a storm. Jesus steals the storm. And finally gets to the other side. 
What I find interesting in this story is that Jesus closed out a meeting of thousands of people to cross over, face danger, just to go to the other side to reach one person. Watch this. Jesus demonstrates through this action that only one person matters for God. You may not have the privilege to stand in front of crowds and tell thousands of people about Jesus Christ, but you do have the privilege and the opportunity to talk to just one person. Could be your family member, could be your neighbor, could someone in the street. And Jesus shows us the value that God places on one soul. That Jesus had to face and brave a weather that was not favorable, go through the waves and the storm of the sea, and when he finally got to the other side, he busies himself with one man. It could be also that probably God spoke to Jesus and led him by the Spirit that as much as these crowds matter, there's one man on the other side. And the story of this man is a sad one. The Bible says this man had been sleeping and walking around in the tombs day and night because his mind was gone. He was crying, cutting himself with stones. And the Bible says nobody could tame him. There are many people in our world today who may smile with us during the day, but they cry themselves to sleep. I can safely say as a leader in the kind of work that I do, I am very much aware that as human beings we have become masters at masking the real story. That we can hide behind success, we can hide behind things and money and achievement, we can tell jokes and laugh around when we go back home and cry ourselves to sleep. That there are people who at night, they cannot sleep, they are tormented, maybe not exactly like this man of Gadara, but their life has no peace. Their life has no tranquility. Every day, it's a day of pain and sorrow. But you see, Jesus is aware of you, my dear friend. God is aware of you, my dear friend. And I don't think you came into this service by mistake. I believe God sent you here for you to be able to encounter Jesus Christ who's able to change your life. And finally, when Jesus ministered to this man, and I'm summarizing the story, this man finally is well. His mind is fine. And note what happens in verse 18 of Mark chapter 5. And I'm reading the New King James Version. It says, and when Jesus got into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. See, this man had not known peace, had not known deliverance, and that Jesus was the one that God used. He felt safe in the presence of Jesus. He probably was afraid that if Jesus was to leave him, whatever used to torment him will come back. This tells us when you have led somebody to Christ, please, by all means, understand the fears they have that they may go back. Nevertheless, Jesus does something that I believe becomes a pattern of what must follow. It says in verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him. He said, no, 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 don't come here, don't stay with me. But I'm saying to you, go to your friends. That's your Jerusalem and your Judea. Go to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you 
and how he has had compassion on you. This is what every one of us must do after we have encountered the merciful power of God. When God has worked in our lives, has touched us, we should go and tell others. Many people don't tell others what God has done in their lives. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't even have to know any verse. Because all you need to do is to tell them your story. Verse 20 says, This man departed, and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. People will marvel when they hear your story. They will marvel because they know what you have been going through. Jesus says, tell them the great things that God has done for you. In other words, just tell them your story. Simple. I learned to do this as a young Christian. I received Christ 5th of August, 1978. It was a Saturday. On the 6th of August, 1978, on Sunday, I used to be a Sunday school teacher in my church at United Reformed Church. Before I could teach the children, I, I, I gathered all the other teachers and told them what had happened to me the day before. In hindsight, I realized I used wrong language. I didn't know the language yet that I was saved. I said to them, yesterday I was blessed. <laughs> but at least I was telling them. Yeah. Listen to this. It's important that we tell them because your story is your story. We need to take the news to them. We need to tell them. Let me read you a story here, which I was sent this by one of our church members, and I really loved it. And I actually said to this person, you need to go and tell the story. Their identity will remain anonymous, because that's what they asked. Mara, it's a true story. Let me read it for you. Evening Bishop, hope you are keeping well. I thought to let you know of my experience last week, following the word that you released at church during the 9 o'clock service on Sunday, the 26th of February. So this is not long ago. Just the other Sunday. In short, you confirmed that there was someone in the service who had gone for an interview in the week, interview the week before. And you went further to say that the job had been suspended for some time and that God says the job is theirs. And that God wants that person to stick to their promise to God. As you were speaking, my wife and I looked at each other nervously and laughed because I had gone to the second round of the interview process the week before, exactly as you mentioned. The job had been first advertised in January 2022, and for a year they couldn't fill the role. They didn't even invite me for an interview. I was told they were looking for someone more senior. Around October, November of 2022, last year, the hiring manager asked if I was still interested as she noted that I had applied before. They had to go through the whole internal process first before advertising the role again this year. When the role opened up, I applied, got shortlisted, went through the interview process together with other potential candidates, and last week, Tuesday, 28th of February, I received an offer for the job of innovation manager. There it is. Now, now, Basalam, how hard is it just to say this? You don't need Greek. You don't need Hebrew. You just need to tell your story. 
what God has done for you. That's all. That's all. That's all. You know, many people, we complicate this thing. You know, we, we think we have to be specially anointed, have special... No, you don't need to. Just tell your story. Look at your neighbor and say, just tell your story, neighbor. Look at the other neighbor and say, neighbor, please. Tell your story. So tell your story. This is important. Number two, we need to anakazo, which is what I said I'll come to. In Luke 14, 23, the master said to his servants, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Today, people busy themselves with many things and oftentimes they don't want to hear anything about God, nothing about religion. And if you approach them without finding a way to persuade them, they will not listen to you. It's amazing that the master says that his servants must go out and compel. Because somehow we believe that you can't compel people to follow God. Well, I beg to differ. The reason we have advertisements is because the advertisers of certain products are trying to compel us. They're trying to persuade us. Oftentimes when they advertise these products of theirs, I mean, if it's Lux soap, for instance, I've often wondered, why don't they hold up Lux and say Lux? I mean, it's still the same soap. But Lux, no? That's not what they do. No, 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 no. You see a beautiful woman washing with Lux? Come on now, come on now. And she's, she's looking very beautiful, but she's washing with Lux. So you're going to buy Lux in the hope that when you wash with it, you look like hair, but my ego, you are still the same. But they find a way to persuade that. Isn't it strange that Coca-Cola is the leading brand in the world, they still advertise? Anywhere in the world you go, it's the first, it's the leading brand that is drunk everywhere, but they advertise and they change the adverts. All kinds of adverts. They even change the bottles. The shape of the bottle. Sometimes it's a shorter one. Now they have a small one. They have a small one. Bunny bottle. Pardon? Buggy bottle. You, you, bought, you have your buggy bottle. You have your buggy bottle. They said buggy bottle. And then you have the 240 mils. And then you have... No, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and then you have all kinds. There's all kinds. And then you have... Uh, you have yeah, less sugar. Load shedding. No. No sugar. And then you have what? And then you have the real one. Yeah. Now, if I was Coca-Cola, I wouldn't. No, no, it wasn't. I just said Coca-Cola, and everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Why? Ever since I was a child, I used to see Coca-Cola ads. They haven't stopped. I'm turning 62 this year. For 62 years of my life, they've been anakazoing. They're compelling people, compelling people, compelling people. And we think just one hit of the gospel is enough. We should take that approach that we're going to tell people and tell them and tell them and advertise and tell them and tell them and tell them. And most advertisers know that their product is not worth the advert, in fact. They know that their product is less than what they are claiming it to be. But we know that Jesus is more than we can ever say. 
Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor you need to earn a kazo. You need to earn a kazo. Compel them. Number three. Number three. Not only do we need to earn a kazo, we need to also be shameless. 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 In Luke 11, Jesus tells a story of a man who received visitors at night. And when he looked around in his cabinet, there was no food, no bread. So this man decides to go to his friend in the middle of the night to go and ask for bread. And the story goes, he knocks on the door and the friend wouldn't respond. But this brother wouldn't stop. And finally the friend says, look, it's late. My kids are in bed, my wife is in bed, it's too late. But this guy doesn't stop. Finally, the friend wakes up and gives him the bread. And listen to the commentary of Jesus. In verse 8 of Luke 11, and I'm reading the New Living Translation. Jesus says, but I tell you this. Those he won't do it for friendship's sake. In other words, he didn't give him bread because he was his friend. I mean, he had already exhausted the friendship thing. He's come too late. Though he wouldn't do it for friendship's sake. Now watch. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. Yeah. So the, 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 there's a way in which we shouldn't be ashamed to preach the gospel and we should persist in telling people about the gospel. Think about it, Bazalan. Us persuading them like this is not for our benefit. What do I gain from them being born again? Nothing. But can you think about what they gain? They will thank you when they're in heaven. You never gave up on me. We need to be shameless. It's unfortunate that many Christians are ashamed of doing the work of God or of preaching the gospel. When people in the world are not ashamed of doing their thing, even in the face of all of us watching. Just a week ago, I was in my neighborhood passing by. There's a place in my neighborhood where they're building some new flats. You know, on the one side, there's flats, and on the other side, there's flats. And there's this road, it's a major road. I mean, it's a, it's a major access road. I mean, there's a lot of traffic there. So I was coming from somewhere, and I was passing by this road, and I see this couple, you know? This young lady and this young guy, busy with each other, smooching. I knew you would act like you don't know what smooching is. That's why I'm standing here. They were smooching. In front of all of us, they didn't care we're driving around. They were smooching. Hey, I tell you, I was afraid they were going to swallow each other, these two. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, they were smooching. I almost had an accident just watching them smooching. You know, they didn't care who's looking at them. They didn't apologize. They didn't ask for their permission. They believe they're in love. They're the ones who say, I fell in love. You know, you know the expression of fell in love? Come out, among. You were all okay. You were just walking, and then you fall in this thing called love. And that's why I also only dizzy, because you fell in this thing, and you do funny things because you fell in love. So they fell in love. Ah. Smoochie. 
And you are ashamed to tell people about Jesus? Ashamed? Wow. When he has saved your life from hell, when Jesus has done so much for you, you are afraid? You are ashamed? They taught us that when we became young Christians back then. You know, this is before people even knew what it means. Some of you may not know. Back in the 70s, it wasn't popular to be a born-again Christian. No, no. It was worse when you were young like some of us. I mean, 1978, when I was 17 years old, it was bad. So they used to make fun of you. I mean, at school, our teachers would make fun of us, our own teachers. From, from the podium at assembly, they'd make fun of us. In class, my teacher would make fun of me. Students would make fun of you. They make fun of you. No one of them wants to sit next to you. The girls, they don't want to sit with you. Because you have this, you know, this is before COVID, you know, it's, you have this. It was bad. So, you know, so you had to try and hide that you're a Christian. But we were taught not to hide. We made it worse by preaching at the assembly. So, you know, if So I'll just stand up and preach at assembly. You know, we just preach. And then I wouldn't put my Bible, Mohara Chakas. You understand what I mean, Muslim? Just carry my Bible, just openly. I want everybody to see. Shameless. Shameless. Then I started preaching. In the trains, in the bus, at street corners. I preached everywhere. In school, hospitals, SCMs, preached everywhere. Everywhere. And people would say, who, 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 Muruti? Who, Muruti? What a waste. What a waste. The, the world has lost you. What a waste. You would be such a, what a waste. I said, that's fine, waste. Ew. I'm still preaching. Thank God. And then I I wasn't a pastor then. I wasn't a pastor then. They thought Ban Chapaka Zinzong Ban Pizza Muruti. They didn't know what about Prophet. Muruti today. Somebody shout hallelujah. <laughs> Guys, I tell people it's 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 very confusing. When people see you, you are an organized person, educated person, handsome guy, pretty girl, uh, uh, very godly, very holy, talking about Jesus, and you're not interested in what they don't know what to do with you. Come on, let's be shameless about our Lord Jesus Christ. Shameless. 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 And I'll tell you why I say this, because people watch you over time. They watch you over time. Look at the name and say, be shameless. I don't know what you're laughing about, but whatever you're laughing about. What did I say? It's not me, right? Or is it, is it there on the screen? Hey, the people on the screen, these young people. Look at the name and say, tell them. Number four, we need to also preach through our good deeds. Our good deeds. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves. We preach a lot, but the way we live, it's pitisan. I don't know if that's good English. Pitiful, pitisan, whatever. And this is where the dilemma is when it comes to our family members. Because you can't always be pushing Jesus down their throat and mistreating them at home. 
Next thing you, you don't pay them back. But you are busy saying, Ujeso. I say, Shumayla, man, just say, Shumayla. I say, Shumayla, Shumayla, Pishapa, Shumayla. You can't tell them who sin the sewer until you could tell the Liboma Quapain. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And sometimes I think we become a very poor advertisement for the gospel as Christians. Yeah. Because we are in places where our behavior is really not good. And we call ourselves Christian. It used to confuse me as a young believer, you know. When I'd see people testify. You know, some people, when they testify, it's like they are not from this world. It's like they're just angels. Hey. <laughs> You can And then you get out of the church and you see them outside arguing with somebody. Zingzonging somebody. Not what Jesus said, Bazalon. Jesus says this. In Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. You, 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 you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hidden. He says, no, do men light up a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Note verse 16. Let your light so shine before men, before men, before men, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Note, Barcelona. You may not know, but people are watching you. There's a man here in our church now. I won't point him out, but he came to me. He shocked me, this man. He shocked me, this man. He was still at home bakers. He became a member of our church, and when we were welcoming them as we welcome members. He held on to my hand. He said, Bishop, finally, I'm a Christian now. I said, okay, welcome. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, I'm from another religion. He told me what it was. He said, when my wife and my family started coming here, I was wondering why they are not following me and they're coming here. But then when I saw you preaching, so it's then, you know, he said, you know, this shocked me. He said, since then, I started tailing you. I had a stalker. <laughs> he said, everywhere you were, I would watch from a distance your behavior. Remember, I don't know him. I can't see him. So pick and pick. I said, I'd watch you, I'd watch you, I'd watch you, I'd watch you. He said, finally, I realized, you know, this thing is real. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm perfect, please. Not that I'm perfect. But try to live the life. He said, the reason I came, because I realized this is real. Good works speak for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I've said, I've said Barcelona. This is what I've said. This. And I, I Barcelona, please, kids, this is what I do. I do it. If you park your car, go up on your mall, or any mall, when you leave, give the guy a good tip. Yeah, yeah, sure. I know why I'm standing this side because 
give them a, if you go to a restaurant give a good tip look 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 it's it says a lot you know that i said i play golf i'm not a good golfer but i play golf we have people who are caddies i don't usually use a caddy but many of the people i play with use caddies even if they didn't caddy for me these guys i give them a good tip good one and i say good i give them a good tip and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Most of them, they don't know when they meet me, I'm a pastor. Because some of you, you push your religion first. No, no, no. There's a guy who used to do my hair when I still had hair. <clears throat> For a long time, he used to do my hair. And, you know, he didn't know I'm a pastor. You know, so he's joking with his friends. They would crack jokes and, you know, the four letter, you know. And finally, he's cutting my hair. You can see he's regretting. <laughs> I said, yes, yes. He said, oh, I'm so sorry for all the things. I... <laughs> he says, Mara, I used to ask myself, why is this man so nice? At the gym. When I used to go to the gym, I'm not going now as much as I am. I'm not going anywhere. I used to train with people. You know in the gym, I did Tsipiti Babulaya. They, they say all kinds of things with this Tsipiti Shire no more. Wow. <laughs> so then I think the people who used to train with me would go and warn them. Next day I would hear them trying to be. Have you seen someone who's not born again trying to be religious? <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. They're, 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 whoop, ask his food to say hallelujah. <laughs> you don't have to try and behave. How do I put it? You don't have to put on a religious look. You know, wear crosses and things and look religious. No, just live a good life. That's all. Just be nice. That, that's all. Be nice. That's all. So I was telling them in the first service, we, I had a neighbor, we had a neighbor, my wife and I, who wasn't very friendly. Not very friendly. And she wasn't very friendly, this lady. No, never greet you. Say hello. She just looks at you. How are you? You don't even know what language to speak. Huya more. She just looks at you. Bonjour. <laughs> and it was worse than we had a dog, just still a puppy, that uh, a burbul, that caused problems for us. Because anytime we opened our gate, it would dash out of the yard, and guess which yard it goes to? Yeah, this dog. And it would spray the whole yard with its urine. So, hey, I tried. And then finally, I think on the fourth year, she was about to leave, and one day, I heard her saying, good morning, pastor. Now, ooh, ooh. So she knows I'm a pastor. Now imagine if I had said some nasty stuff. Your way of living is a stronger sermon than your words. Now we're not perfect. But, but live in a manner that will glorify God. Note, we read a very interesting story in Acts chapter 9 of a woman by the name of Dorcas or Tabitha. The Bible says in Acts 9.36 that this woman was full of good works. That's what it says in the King James Version. The NIV says this woman was always doing good and helping the poor. Then she died. And the community, the whole community, the entire community mourned her passing. The whole community. Say 
save people, they all cried. And when Peter came into that territory, they cried. They took the things that this woman had done and the clothes she had shown. They showed them to Peter. They said, Bona, she's no longer here. And somehow God worked in a miraculous way that Peter went to raise this woman from the dead. You know, when I read this, I thought, I wonder how many of us with the communities want us to come back from the dead. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, Bishop Wabutsa, it's just a question. Sky Daftis, it's just a question. Sky Daftis. But you see, her good work spoke for her. And in conclusion, we need to invite people to come and see. Somebody say, come and see. Sometimes you may not have a long story to tell. You may not even have the strategy. All you need to do is to hold them by the hand and say, come and see. This is the story in John 4 of this woman at the well that had encountered Jesus. And when her life changed, verse 28 of John 4, it says the woman left her water pot. You know, it's amazing. This woman was at the well to go and get water. And when she encountered Jesus, they were talking about whose well it is. She'd come there to get water. And Jesus engaged her, ministered to her. That this woman finally leaves the very water pot she had it leaves the very water she had come to fetch. Because there's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's able to touch where nothing else can touch. That this woman, I know she came to get natural water, but what she really needed was spiritual water. She was thirsty. When you encounter the gospel, it answers so many things. She leaves her water pot. What does she do? She leaves the water pot, and the Bible says in verse 28, she went her way into the city and said to the man, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. So they believed in Jesus because of what she said. But then verse 40 says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they asked him to stay with them asked Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. In other words, they came because they were invited. But when they got there, when they heard and experienced, they believed themselves. They came on their own because they had tasted. Yeah. We do come and see all the time. Yeah. Many of us repromoted re irata. I mean, a few years ago, people were like, like a moringa, moringa. Everywhere you go, to moringa, to moringa, but hey, moringa. La muriru ufedile, hey, moringa. Yeah. La una lidi cons, moringa. I mean, others were almost close to saying, angetuwe no yashumayelo, yashumayelo, yashumayelo. Fanlo puzu moringa, gutu konugu ringa. I know a church where they actually used to promote Moringa in church. But they would never win one person to the Lord. And they, were, they are Moringa rising. Sometimes all you need to tell somebody is come and taste. Let's come and see. So this leads me to the final point. 
We then have decided as a church, we want to practice telling them. So next week Sunday, at this service, we ask you all to come dressed in your jeans, and if you have a Grace Bible Church t-shirt or whatever t-shirt, and we ask you to try and be decent, please, because next week Sunday at 9 o'clock, we are all going to meet here for 30 minutes. I like the way you are quiet. <laughs> I like the way you are quiet. But Alana, we want to be doers of the word. It's not enough for us to talk about these things. So, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. So please come dressed in an appropriate way. For 30 minutes, we're going to coach you on how to anakazo. Either you, you tell them, you come and see them, or you share your story. We're going to share with you how to do that. Okay. Unfortunately, and I say unfortunately, I, I had a prior engagement. Unfortunately, I won't be there to see that because I want to see that. But our pastors will be here. I'll be back for the dedication service of our church in Centurion, though. All right. So, so for 30 minutes, we'll be here. And then after that, we're going to leave for an hour. We're going out everywhere. Highways, byways, everywhere. I like the year this side. Come over, Tutsi. Come over, Tutsi. Namasalam. And we are going to tell them. And don't just tell them, bring them. So we're going to, after, we must, we'll be back within an hour to come and pray, minister to them, and close up. I want you to, to, to taste how it feels like to tell somebody about Jesus. So to make it easier for you, we will let you go in groups. All right, so that's two sana. How to do it. You know those kind of things. So we will So next week Sunday, suits and whatever, leave them at home. Just come. Yeah, little stiletto. Yeah, stiletto. And please, even if you're wearing casual, please just try to not wear in such a way that people can listen to what you're saying. I won't go into more details on that because we get into trouble for saying those kinds of things. But I'm just saying, just be in such a way that people can listen to you and not try to, you understand what I'm saying. You know? So next week, Sunday, Barcelona. I want to challenge every one of you. I know some of you are already deciding I am easy next week. <laughs> I want to bind that thought in the name of Jesus. Puma Satan. Basalana, let me tell you. All you need is to taste it once. Let me close. Go with me to Mark. I hadn't prepared this verse, but I want to read it for you. Mark chapter 16. I had this in my sermon. Mark chapter 16. I had not prepared this verse, but I could not. I feel I need to read this verse. Mark chapter 16. Sorry, I'm trying to get it. All right. This is after Jesus had told them to go into the world. All right. Let's start go verse. 
verse, uh, let's see, verse 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Now note verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now note verse 20. Very powerful. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs and wonders. So, there's an anointing that is waiting for you to experience. When you start reaching people, God begins to work with you. And signs and wonders are going to follow. I can't, I can't wait for next week, Bazaran. And my prayer is that what we are starting next week, may it get into the DNA of Grace Bible Church. That never again will we ever be a church that doesn't reach out to people. And we're going to reach out to more people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, please? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to ask right where you are. I know the Spirit of the Lord is moving in this house in a powerful, powerful way in the hearts of people. Today, God is dealing with our hearts. God is realigning us to his purpose. It's been my prayer this year that in our church, we will win the lost. In our church, we will allow the Holy Spirit to work the way he wants to. That in our church, we'll do our best to follow the instructions of the Lord. And I ask you, every one of you, can you be a part of that? Paul plants Apollo's waters. God gives the increase. We'd like to see every one of you bring someone, witness to someone, pray for someone, tell someone, an account of someone. But even as I speak, there may be people here you're here today, you've been invited or you've come on your own. But as yet, Jesus Christ is not the Savior and the Lord of your life. You haven't committed your life to Christ. Though you love church, though you may love everything that happens here, you may be even a good moral person, but you don't ever remember making a decision for Christ in a conscious way and asking Him to come into your heart and save you. And today as you listened to what I was sharing about our eternity, and the reality of the life on the other side of the earth. When you heard that, you wondered if your life will ever be safe in the hands of God. And right where you are with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. If you say, Bishop, you know what? My life is not right before God. Would you please pray for me? I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life, into my heart. 
to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Will you all keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed? If that is you, my friend, and you say, you know, I want God to change my life, would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand, please, right where you are? Raise it high. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just raise it high. Raise it high. I want to invite Jesus in my life. Just raise it high. That's right. I see those hands. You can raise just one hand. One hand is fine. But just raise it high. I want to see it. I want to see more people come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Because we know this is urgent. We've been given an assignment. We've been told to go into the highways and the byways and tell them. Maybe you are sitting next to somebody who should raise their hands, but they haven't raised their hands as yet. Would you encourage them? You know what? You can raise your hand. I'll go to the front with you if you raise your hand. I'll support you. I'll stand by you. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be ashamed. May I ask everybody who raised their hands, would you please stand on your feet right where you are? Or if you've brought somebody whom you're encouraging, I want you to stand with them. Just stand all over this place. Just stand right where you are. This is an important thing. Ashas, please help us and indicate to those people to stand all over the place. Just stand. That's right. Thank you, young man. Thank you so much. Just stand and remain standing. Stand and remain standing. That's good. That's good. That's good. I want to pray for you, all right? Can you all come from where you are standing? Take your belongings, all right? Your Bible, your bed, don't leave your belongings. Just come stand in the front so that we pray for you. We want to pray for you. God wants to do something great in your life. Something new in your life. Something special in your life. This is the beginning of a new journey. This is the beginning. Thank you, Jesus.